Hi, I'm Joanna Barron. And I'm Leslie Gray. Welcome to the Love and Dividends podcast where women get smart about money. We'll share interviews and conversations about optimizing your finances, getting started with investing, and building wealth. And today we're chatting with my friend, very cool Lisa Campbell. Lisa is CEO of Mercari Agency Limited. She helps cannabis companies come to market across the country. She was co-founder of the Green Market, which was a series of underground cannabis market pop-ups. And she also worked in international drug policy before taking the legal cannabis world by storm. Our guest is preaching from the Cannabis Act Bible on the full legalization of cannabis. Her legacy status from a badass bubby bootlegger during Prohibition, how high-end cannabis lounges will influence the hospitality industry, her experience as CEO of two companies in a space which severely lacks representation, and how she stays ahead of the curb by chilling in her own lane. Enjoy! Okay, so we are here with the quote-unquote badass lady of the cannabis. And I can attest that the honorific is accurate, Ms. Lisa Campbell. Um, How's your COVID quarantine life, Lisa? That's a really good question. Um, Well, I've been back in Toronto for quarantine for the last three months. Uh, It's very different from my normal life, which usually I'm living in the sky and, you know, traveling across Canada selling cannabis. So it's been really good to be home though and um, just kind of stay focused too because when you're working from home, you can really zone in on your tasks. So it's been good. What about you guys? Are you uh, staying home, working from home? Working from home, yeah. starting to venture out a little bit. I work from a co-working space, which I think you do too. I work from WeWork, so nobody's there and it's walking distance from my house. So I've been going in um oh my god it's open yeah oh no it it never closed because people who are essential essential services can work out of there but yeah it's it's a little weird I had a tense moment because one of my co-workers um because I have like a six-person office but I was the only person in there one of the co-workers came back and he brought his brother and his brother was working at my desk and I showed up and I was like uh sorry not cool these are like 22 year olds so they're like whatever. Um, but no, I'm, I'm generally, generally good. Um, so Lisa, you have such a fascinating trajectory. You are a multi-time CEO, you're young, you're a millennial. Um, but you're also, um, this is the impression that I think anybody who has met you would say, you're not the, the typical like boss bitch type. Like you're so chill and, um, so chill and open-minded. Um, so can you talk a bit about your career and how you came to be in the cannabis space? Sure. Yeah, of course. So I came to the cannabis space, uh, from the nonprofit space. So, uh, my background is working in community health and drug policy reform. Uh, I was really active, uh, at the time with Canadian students for sensible drug policy and, uh, you know, was going to all the conferences in the U.S. states where they were legalizing and gets, getting super inspired by the movement uh, in the U.S. And uh, at the time, um, before I entered officially into cannabis, it was around uh, right before the election of the liberals. And there was this buzz in the air um, that cannabis could be legalized. And uh, at the time, uh, you know, we said 
if cannabis were to be legalized the same way as alcohol, that um, our family business, which is actually in wine and spirits, that we would be very interested in, in entering that space. So, um, you know, I was patiently waiting, but uh, as an activist, I'm not very patient. So um, I ended up starting Women Grow, which is, uh, you know, the Toronto chapter. So it's a network of women in cannabis who are entrepreneurs. Um, at the time, there was around just 10 companies in Canada. Um, I think this was like early 2015. So, um, really the cannabis industry has exploded since then but uh, since those early days with Women Grow um, I actually ended up getting into more activism before the industry really exploded before recreational legalization so I actually ran a craft cannabis farmers market for two years uh, before legalization we held events across Canada um, Toronto was our main squeeze because this is my home uh, hometown so uh, we did like huge events in Toronto with like over a thousand people and all kinds of cannabis products so you know over two years later um, we're at this point now where we're finally starting to get all those products into legal cannabis stores. So it's, it's kind of crazy that it's taken us so long to get from like those early activism days to now, you know, we've had full legalization, but, um, you know, for over a year and we don't have all of those products available. So, um, yeah, my trajectory was very much like from an activism perspective, like we should have the right to access these products. And, you know, if we can have legal alcohol in Canada and around the world, which like, you know, alcohol is such a carcinogenic substance in comparison to cannabis, it's like cannabis is benign. So, um, you know, all along, we've really been pushing for cannabis to be treated like alcohol um, and to have, you know, the same regulations, whether that be marketing or distribution. Yeah, and your family has a pretty illustrious history in uh, in the fight against alcohol prohibition. Um, do you want to share with our listeners about the rock star women fighting against booze laws in your family? Yeah, so we've got some a lot of multi generations of activists in our family. Um, my great grand Bubby, she came to uh, North America from the former USSR and. To survive, uh, she was actually a bootlegger in inner city Detroit. So, um, you know, my bubby grew up as a child, like basically in a bootlegging family. Uh, they ran a rooming house. They they were bootleggers. They weren't the bootleggers that you see in the movies that are you know shipping whiskey across the border. Um, but yeah, it was really about survival back then uh, as as new immigrants to North America. Um, from there, you know, uh, on my dad's side of the family, we've, we've had a wine and spirits business for quite some time. And, you know, we came from the hospitality industry, but, um, as, as a wine agency, um, we've had quite our share of, uh, tiffs with the provincial government over liquor laws. So, uh, we actually had a five-year court battle, uh, to, for private liquor in Ontario, uh, which we ultimately ended up losing. Uh, we had to close our business <laughs> for a short time and, uh, but ultimately now, you know, so many years later, all the things that we fought for, um, for liquor, uh, we're not quite there, but currently in Ontario, um, restaurants can deliver. So it's almost better than having a private liquor store. Uh, so a lot of restaurants to kind of save the hospitality industry have pivoted. So, um, my sister actually is running a wine delivery service right now, which, uh, you know, delivers across the GTA called Grape Witches. So, um, you know, 
back when my bubby was a kid <laughs> bootlegging to now where my sister is um you know through the ontario these new emergency measures she's basically selling wine out of her car uh, almost in the same ways that people used to sell cannabis out of their uh, back trunk back in the day, but it's all now legal and licensed. So um, we've definitely come a long way with, with booze regulations. And of course, with cannabis, we can also now deliver as well. So, um, you know, we've always fought for private retail. And while I think there really is a place for government in regulation to, uh, you know, ensure that it's a fair market, uh, that there's no diversion. Um, really, you need to build systems where, where private businesses can thrive and where government is not competing against those businesses. So um, I think we still have a long way to go with cannabis, but alcohol is definitely a, br a blueprint for that. That's a great explanation. And can you actually set out for us what the lawyers what is and is not currently legalized in Canada like when it comes to cannabis because I understand for example beverages and edibles still may not be legal and how things have gone in the space since full legalization yeah so there is a certain point in time where like we weren't sure if edibles were going to be included in legalization so that's that was part of our activism uh, luckily edibles, beverages, topicals, they're all included. They're all legal now. Um, Yay. <laughs> yes, finally. <laughs> yes. But of course, there's limitations because it's uh, regulated by the government and they've got their mandates to protect the children and health and safety. So um, for edibles, there is a 10 milligram per package limit. So for consumers that like to enjoy like 50 to 100 milligrams, this 10 milligram limit is like the bane of their existence and they're not interested in legal edibles. Um, and that's the same for beverages. There's also possession limits, which are the worst. Um, so all lawyers should be aware of the possession limits. So these are personal. So um, if you're outside of your house, you can only possess 30 grams of, can of dried cannabis flour or equivalent. And uh, you, you will have to Google all those equivalencies. There's, you know, several different forms. Like, I think concentrates are like 7.5 grams equivalent. Uh, seeds are like four seeds. Um, if you're a beverage, uh, your personal possession is only 2.1 liters. So if you wanted to buy a six-pack of beverages and those beverages were 355 milliliters, you would be over your personal possession uh, limits and you'd be in violation of the Cannabis Act as a consumer. So mm -hmm. I think there's still a lot of regulations that we need to push um, for consumer safety and protection and also um, just to have more diversity, especially for patients as well. Like this 10 milligram limit is, you know, kind of short-sighted. Um, but other parts of the law are great. Like concentrates, topicals, you can have up to a thousand milligrams per package of THC. So um, the government has definitely done a lot of things right and things are getting easier surprisingly during COVID in terms of licensing so mm. all those licensing of bottlenecks we saw like the first year or so of legalization hopefully will start to be lifted as things become more efficient. And that's just because of the online space or or what is it about this time that's making it more efficient? Yeah I think it might be the virtual like now you can do like a video inspection um they're just making the laws a lot more flexible and maybe it's because people are working from home, but um, 
before, if you want to have a new cannabis product, you would have to wait uh, 60 days and have all the final packaging ready. So um, now they have it where uh, if you don't have the final packaging, you can still submit the formulation and, and what you'd like to do, and they'll do a conditional approval. So um, things things are just becoming easier at a time when I thought they would be more difficult. Um you know, licensing used to take years in the previous market. And now, you know, I hear, I hear 10 months, I hear 60 days. It's just getting way shorter. So um, same for cannabis retail, right? In Ontario, we're about to explode. Um, now all these restaurants are applying to have cannabis stores as well. And, uh, and it, the coolest thing about being back in Ontario is that um, the government just did a consultation on lounges. So that will be like the next generation mm. of cannabis. Ooh, cool. So that's a good pivot to my next question, because I know cannabis and hospitality is sort of one of your niches. Like you've done events with chefs where cannabis is incorporated into the food in all these beautiful ways. And I know that that's kind of a gray area, but do you think that's kind of the future that whenever the world reopens, we can have like, a champagne and cannabis lounge or high-end restaurants where you can have like an infused cod with like CBD oil. Like, do you think that that is a possibility given how it sounds like what you're saying is industry has been so effective in speaking to the government about how it would like to be regulated. Um, and I know that the cannabis space is so sophisticated and well-organized and it seems like finally the Ontario government is being receptive to that. Um, so do you think that we can look forward to cool stuff like that in Ontario? Yeah, we definitely can. Um, what it will look like will be obviously very shaped by government regulations. Um, we probably won't be able to serve alcohol and cannabis in the same venue. But for licensing, I've heard a lot of hospitality spaces talk about having two floors where the first floor is licensed for alcohol, second floor licensed for cannabis. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a result of industry and also activists pushing for change. And a lot of those activists now are, you know, consulting for government, and they're super, super open for feedback. Um, so the Ministry of Attorney General, they did do this consultation pre-COVID. Um, during COVID, they've been obviously looking at the results of the consultation. And what will be so fascinating is to see how fast these changes come. Um, I honestly, given how slow government works, I would be very happy if we had lounges in 2021. Like it would probably take that long for them to finalize the regulations. Um, but it's, it's also very po um, possible that they could make it as, as easy as possible for existing licensed retail stores to convert their licenses to amend and have a consumption space on site. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. And I've seen a lot of uh, restaurants apply for these new cannabis retail store licenses. Um, South of Temperance is a good example. Um, you know, and... It's, it's just going to be so fascinating to have, you know, all the care, love and care that goes into the hospitality industry to have that applied to cannabis and to create, you know, these relaxing social settings, especially in a, a post-COVID world. So um, I imagine that they'll be designed very differently because, of course, you want to have social distancing and all those things. But, totally. you know, eventually we will be getting back to normal, I hope. It's hard to know. But do you think, like, can you expand on that a little bit? Do you think when we do get back to whatever the new normal looks like, 
we could be at a restaurant looking at the wine menu and the food menu and the cannabis menu? Like, is, is that something, is that sort of how this works or am I misunderstanding? So it wouldn't be that like the restaurant would get a cannabis license per se. It would be like a separate licensed business as far as I can understand. Okay. Um, there are definitely a lot of restaurant chains that would like to, you know, just have cannabis on the menu. And of course, in Los Angeles, um, there's examples of that. In West Hollywood, there's a few licensed uh, uh, restaurants that are opening where, you know, they will have cannabis literally on the menu at the restaurant. But it oh, well. the cool the other cool thing is restaurants are converting too, right? So um, okay. during COVID, of course, the entire hospitality industry has just been uh, completely devastated. There's been thousands and thousands of people who've been laid off. Um, you know, people are going bankrupt over COVID in the hospitality industry. So we're seeing a lot of those spaces um, being converted actually into dispensaries and the best example of that is second cup um, if you look at the ontario retail applicants quite a few of those locations are, are second cup locations in in very good areas so oh. i think for hospitality it's a chance to kind of like reinvent ourselves and and come out the other side stronger awesome wow and do you think more broadly when you think about sort of like the cannabis industry, legal cannabis in Canada is like a toddler now, I suppose, because we're going into two years um, post full legalization. But as the industry grows up, do you think that there will be like a full on luxury legal market for cannabis where you have like certain terroirs and strains like I'm kind of analogizing to the wine industry because I know you have a lot of experience in that industry and obviously a lot of experience in cannabis. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're we're really looking to do in cannabis is to bring uh, those, those stories um, and that passion from the producer to the consumer and to the retailers. Um, definitely there is room for a premium market, but the trends that we're seeing across Canada is that um, the provincial distributors are really pushing for low, low, low prices. Uh, it doesn't mean that there won't be a premium category for cannabis. Um, you know, as a cannabis consumer, I'm the type of person that will drop like $150 on a gram of, you know, full melt hash, uh, you know, fine artisanal hash. So um, definitely that consumer exists out there and they're looking for the most premium products. Um but because the premium stuff goes, it's less less turnover. Uh, there's less incentive for for the government to bring it in right now because really their goal is to eliminate the the black market. So um, for a lot of the premium brands that are in the market right now, like uh, you know Broken Coast, Whistler, which is completely out of stock in Ontario, hopefully not delisted, uh, Quest, all of these brands um, used to be. Uh, you know, around the $20 a gram price range and now are being pushed uh, to probably like $14, $15 average price range. So we've seen a lot of disruption in the premium category and the, this pressure to go to make legal cannabis cheaper so it can compete with the illicit market essentially. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, very cool. So just to uh, pivot over, we know you've been very vocal in calling out the cannabis space for its lack of representation. We know that right now women are on just 5% of the publicly traded licensed producer boards. 
and you're on record for calling out the space as being predominantly run by white men. Uh, and yet we know you've been CEO of two companies. So how do you think you've been able to break into this space? And do you have any thoughts or commentary on it? Yeah, I mean, for me, when I was raising such a ruckus from like 2015 to now, so that's like five years of shouting from the sidelines saying we need to have more women in cannabis and leadership, um, I would always get these trolls that would be like, well, why don't you just start your own company? Like, why don't you just like to be an executive, you should start your own company and you should be an executive. So um, not to say that we shouldn't be shouting from the sidelines for for every single company in the industry to to diversify and to value diversity. Um, but really, that was a catalyst for me to get into the space more formally. Um, I had always come from an activism nonprofit background. So coming into the space, um, I had to really learn a lot about uh, finance and big business and um, to like really grasp the scope of the entirety of the industry. So it's a huge learning curve. But I would really say um, for women who are looking to come into the industry, if you're coming from other careers, um, you know, we need talent right now. Uh, there has been a lot of layoffs, but everyone I know that I'm working with is still hiring. So it there's never a bad time to enter the industry. Um, and it, there's never a bad time to start your own company either. Um, I think that, you know, when we think about entering the cannabis industry, a lot of us think, oh, where am I going to get a job? But really, um, the system is very broken. And if you can find a pain point in the system where you can provide value as a business, I think that's the best way to shift diversity is is to get women actually starting their own businesses where, you know, they don't have to appeal to a board to diversity to diversify, they create their own board and they create their own executive where they can make those choices themselves and uh, not have to appeal to the higher powers. So, um, you know, all these years later, five years later, things have not gotten better in terms of diversity. There's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions, which means that, you know, previous companies that were run by women like 48 North, you know, I'm a huge fan of 48 North, huge fan of their products, their branding. Um, but there are two female founders left and now they have, you know, majority male board, male executive for the most part. Um, so that's the hardest thing with this industry is there's so much you know, you push for change and you have, you know, the first, oh, maybe they weren't the first, but, you know, two women CEOs, like running this licensed producer together, publicly traded, and then everything completely changed. So, um, you know, it, it's hard to say what it will take, but we definitely have to keep pushing for diversity because at our current rate, um, even for pubcos on a whole, you know, like for, for companies that are on the TSX, for us to change board so there's gender parity it will take over 30 years at our current rate that's not no, okay too long yeah deadly <laughs> no yeah we don't like 30 years but yeah. very cool that you that that became a catalyst for you to start your own thing and it and it sounds like a lot of other women too i kind of like that rather than try to work in the system Start your own board, start your own company. But, but Lisa, sick. I'm curious, as somebody who also works in the not-for-profit space, how did you have the chutzpah to go from the not-for-profit space to cannabis where it's like so corporate at this point? It's like, you know, so many trillions of dollars being flowed into this. Um, are you just a genius? Or I just, I feel like there's some inspiration. <laughs> yeah, are you a genius? Women. 
who are, who are just like, I could never. Um, and I feel like you can be very expansive for people here. Totally. Yeah, no, it was and definitely like... you a genius? <laughs> it was definitely a huge transition. Um, like when I started in 2015 getting into corporate cannabis, um, I, I knew about the stock market, but I didn't really know about the stock market. Like I didn't know about... Uh, shorting or how to structure shares or um, RTOs or like there's so much new vocabulary that I needed wait, wait, to what learn. Are RTOs? Oh yeah. my god, re- RTOs are so popular in cannabis. It's reverse takeovers. So oh, okay. um, the most common way in the last five years for a cannabis company to go public is by buying a mining shell and then just doing a reverse takeover. So you know, five years ago, I didn't know what an RTO was. And <laughs> now here I am. And I feel I feel like I still have so much more to learn. Um, but every day I'm learning. So that's the best reason to get into the cannabis industry um, for other women who are thinking about it is that it doesn't really matter where you're starting at. Everyone's kind of you know, this this legal industry has only been around uh, since 2014 or 2013 is when, um, you know, that's when we were first had private cannabis companies in Canada, let alone public ones. So um, I think that it kind of levels the playing, playing field and uh, we're all learning together every day. So, um, you know, even my team, like we're, I'm constantly learning from my team and vice versa and... Uh, all I can say is when you read the Cannabis Act, it's like reading the Bible. Every time you read it, there's new interpretations. So in in learning about the regulations of cannabis, because they're so new, um, it's all still being interpreted. And there's so many creative ways to do things. So um, I think it just it, it does create a more level playing field and that it is a new industry. So everyone is learning constantly. Um so if you don't know something, it's not the type of industry where people are going to shame you for not knowing that thing because we're all learning together. I love that. And the other thing That's that I so think is cool. really cool about your career is you have clearly been able to leverage the fact that you have a background as an activist and in the cannabis, not even space, but just seen. And you've been able to leverage that by working with people in the black market or gray market, I should say, and bringing them to the legal market. So I just think that's a cool thing for people to think about that there are ways that your existing network um, that you can leverage it. Um, and I, I think that's been one of the things that you've been able to do so so effortlessly, right? Like, you know, these people, you, you've had these markets, um, you've hung out with these people for years. Yeah, no, it's really fascinating, actually. Um, one of my very first dispensary clients, because I used to, in the gray market, I worked at 416 Medicinal, was on King West. Um, so one of my very first clients is now working at a licensed producer. And I, for the in the last 24 hours, I did my first facility visits in the last three months. Like, you know, with, with COVID, I wasn't going out. And it was so powerful being at his facility and him just reflecting, like, Think about all that we've gone to, and we're finally here and licensed. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's definitely powerful to be able to use that voice. But I also have like haters out there that are like, "You're representing publicly traded companies. Like, you can't have political opinions." And I kind of just tell them to fuck off. <laughs> Part of my French because I think right now with the state of the world, uh, you know, there's COVID. There's also um, an epidemic of, of racism and and violence. So it's like there's so much going on in the world. You can't just shut up. It doesn't matter if you're representing a pubco and some shareholders might not like it. Like 
I'm not going to censor myself for that. So, um, so yeah, all the companies that we've been work, working with have been uh, great, but honestly, the industry is not perfect. And as an activist, it's, it's a constant balance of, you know, wanting to shout from the sidelines at, at every single thing that I find unjust. But uh, you also have to stay focused on your lane as well. And I think I've realized that, uh, you know, there might be shitty things in the world, like Dan Bilzerian having the Ignite brand, but really like the best thing you can do to succeed and to battle, you know, sexism, toxic masculinity, racism is to stay in your lane and succeed and be more successful than your competition. Um, you know, if I can buy all of the cannabis that Dan Bilzerian wants to buy at a higher price point, um, I'm creating a better situation for those farmers. Um, you know, I'm going to have the best feed in the industry. And instead of like, you know, knocking my competition, I can just do better than them. So that's kind of my motivation right now uh, as a woman in business is that even though there's all these shitty sexist factors at play in the cannabis industry to just to just own my lane and and, you know, take off the runway. That's, that's so cool. I'm, I'm feeling very inspired. I feel like when you first said stay in your lane, I was like, no, go into the other lanes. But really, I think what you mean is like stay in your lane and like cruise ahead. So you're like, I don't even need to be in those other lanes. My lane is on the fast track. I, I love to run the with the metaphor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> own the whole highway. Yeah, that's. So yeah, just crazy. like own. So just. So on, on the theme of, of you being ahead of the curve, um, we know that, you know, you have sort of for a while been able to predict these trends. So we want to know, uh, what are you watching in cannabis? And where would you suggest that new investors look uh, if we're interested in taking a position or buying stock in a company? See, it's, it's so hard with stock. Um, stuff is definitely, there's a lot of value out there in that the market has taken a huge beating. Um, so it's a really good chance to buy low. Uh, at the same time, we've seen so many companies go into bankruptcy. Um, so it is really important to not just pick the biggest. Um, I had a friend in the UK who sent me a screenshot of some pot stocks that she was looking at. Um, you know, they're all around like $10 and up stock. Um, you know, I think that it's really important to look, uh, to really look at the companies that you're investing in and not just look at the price of the stock, uh, look at the outstanding shares, uh, look at their quarterly reports to really decide who you're going to put your money on because it it's no longer the biggest are going to win. We've seen some giants fall in the space. Um, just today, I uh, believe, went into CCAA. Um, so that's another pubco <laughs> that's gone into bankruptcy in the last day. Um, so you really have to be careful who you choose. Um, really, I'm seeing a revolution happening with private companies. Um, so if I had a sizable investment and I was looking to grow that investment, I would invest that in a small private company that has room to grow. Um, and I mean, there are still some options out there that are really competitive. Of course, cannabis retail is a huge space that's growing, uh, but a lot of these retailers are bankrupting themselves and over expanding. Um, so, 
you just have to be really, really careful. It's not who's the, the biggest and the loudest. It's the best investment. Sometimes it's those quiet guys that you've never heard of. So in terms of who I would recommend, um, we just started working with a great company called Neptune Wellness Solutions. Uh, Neptune is traded on the NASDAQ. Uh, not sure where their ticker is at now. Uh, I do believe it's very competitive uh, compared to Medifarm and Balance, which are two of their competitors. Neptune is a cannabis extractor that's based in Sherbrooke, Quebec. And uh, they're a fascinating company in that they're uh, North American wide, so they're in the U.S. as well, in the hemp space, and they process for some of the biggest companies out there. They process for Canopy, uh, for Green Organic Dutchman, um, you know, so many different companies. So uh, they're not the most hype company out there. You know, on social media, their presence is very muted, but they're one of the smartest companies that I've come across. Um, and I do think that they're a top secret weapon. They're actually the biggest extractor in Canada with over 200 metric tons of processing power a day. Uh, so I think it's like those quiet players that you need to find and not just invest in like, you know, the Tillerays and canopies of the world. I love that. This is cool. some insider gold. Okay, so should we hop over to Money Wins? Leslie. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is a tip or a way you save money or something that you bought that you love. Do you have a money win, Lisa? So my money win has been the silver lining of COVID is uh, I was able to eliminate my debt. Um, so you know, right before I jumped Congrats. into cannabis, I know, I'm so happy, right, right before cannabis uh, kind of exploded, um, I actually got divorced, and that was like a quite expensive process, so I've been recovering and digging myself out since then, so like these last three months, I'm not spending money, I'm just staying inside, I'm like making my own meals, I'm not, you know, going out every day, buying coffees. So I think it's those small things that make you realize how much money there is to save in any given day. And then yeah. you channeled that money towards debt. We love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you still buying cannabis though? I am get getting a lot of gifts. She has to chill. Yeah, you still need to chill. <laughs> I still am buying a lot of cannabis, though. Holy shit. Um, so luckily for my work, because we're constantly scouting the next, you know, good companies that, you know, aren't really hot on the space yet, um, I get to try out a lot of different brands, and I get to expense that as R&D. Um, but... Yeah, I also get a lot of gifts. So um, the Toronto Sun actually did this really cute piece on uh, cannabis gifting in the times of COVID. And just yesterday, I, re I received um, some cannabis from Bear Organics, which is a new brand in, in Ontario. So that's awesome. Um, also, uh, there's this amazing Instagram account that you guys have to follow. It's Y-E-G Grow Girl, like the uh, Edmonton Airport code, YEG. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and YEG Grow Girl sent me some of the best cannabis I've ever tried in my life. Uh, she has like a cookies and cream purple punch fino, also meat breath, which is a mendo breath cross. So um, yeah, I've just been so grateful to, to be able to try all this amazing stuff. And I'm so excited for it all to get licensed. Like, now um, all these legacy growers can bring their genetics in. So the quality of cannabis is just going to explode over the next year, which is super exciting. I love it. Amazing. Uh, perks of the job. Leslie? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 
I also think it's just funny that one of our initial questions was like, Lisa, how are you so chill? But I think we know. <laughs> you broke girl. No, I've seen Lisa at like 10 no, I'm sorry. for I breakfast and she's still chill. She's just, yeah, preternaturally that way. Very cool. I mean, yeah. I do tend to hit the bong before breakfast sometimes. So that might be my secret. <laughs> um, amazing. My money win is actually a win from Joanna in one of our recent episodes, The Silver Linings of COVID. Joe gave her money tips. And not only am I a co-host with Joanna, but I'm also a fan of Joe's money tips even before we had this podcast. And I'm also a fan. And one of the things she brought you brought up was this is very random, but I really think it needs another shout out because it was my money win this week was your uncashed checks from Canada Revenue Agency. Yeah, get your money, girl. Yeah, Joanna yes. brought this up, and I was like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. She brought it up on the pod. I was like, that's great for our listeners, but like, I'm very organized. I've been doing my own taxes for years. I use Simple Tax, which now bought by Wealth Simple. I am very A-type. I'm like, I'm not the type to have some sort of uncashed check. That's not me. But then I got curious, popped on, and found from 2007 a check. I'm looking at it right now for $60, never cashed, just sitting there. CRA wants to get it back to me. It's just like fill out this form. So, you know, it's not a ton of money, but that was such a nice money win. And then I'm a big nerd about compounding interest. Read this whole podcast. So I have my little compounding interest app. And I put it in and I was like, if I had invested this in the stock market, assuming a return of 8% per year, over the last 13 years that it's been sitting there, I would have gained $100 on it. So I'm feeling like so happy, you know, frustrated myself that this money was just sitting there, but want to share it as a money win with everyone. Log on to my CRA, go to click on uncashed checks is what it's called. And it'll just show you immediately what money you have sitting there, possibly from 13 years ago. And yep. some sort of check you never cash. Even I, if you think like me, yeah. that would never happen to you. It happened yeah. to me. I think everybody I've talked to has had something. So yeah, get your money from the government. God knows they take enough of it as it totally. is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so my money win is kind of random, but also kind of life-changing. I uh, found this YouTube, this like four-hour YouTube called How to Get Rich by this guy named Naval. And it was just, I started listening to it and it was just like words of a sage and the title, how to get rich is total clickbait. It's like super profound. It's like stoic philosophy mixed with um, deep insight into the sort of historical moment we're at where the only Mixed with science. Yeah. Mixed (laughs) with science. Um, So this guy is named Naval Ravikant. He's one of the original investors in AngelList and is a sort of tech guy. Um, But he just goes into sort of how to create your leverage, which is basically the place where you have a competitive advantage and how, you know, 100 years ago, the leverage was by owning industrial equipment and having labor. And now it's entirely based on producing things that can be replicated without costs like technology which is why pretty much the only people that are making massive amounts of money are people in technology and in media. So um, I'm going to link to it. I've been listening to like 20 minutes a day because there's just so much to unpack. And uh, yeah, I think it's life-changing. I think 
some of the comments are like, wow, this was like, I went to Wharton for business school and this four hours was more useful than like a hundred thousand dollar business degree. So it's just brilliant. And it's at an abstract enough level that wherever you are, like, I wish I'd listened to it when I was a teenager, but it would be relevant for a 70 year old. Um, it's just brilliant. It is, it is art chef's kiss. Oh my God. I want to listen to that. That's amazing. You have to. Joanna sent it. That's another one where I doubted Joanna. I was like four You're hours. like a random Joanna, YouTube called How to yeah, Get Yeah, I'm rich. like, I do not have this kind of time, but I'm going to listen to a little bit of it token because she's my my partner. Yeah. And I listened to the entire thing. Like, I was like, this is the most amazing. And I will be re-listening to it over and over. The leverage, he, he also does a lot of engineer science talk, talks yeah. about how scientists are at the top of his moral code. So yeah. I mean, I was like, yeah, because if you know how to build someone something, you have he's loving engineers. Knowledge. Yeah, yeah, he loves <laughs> engineers. Yeah, I, I like, kind of hate lawyers. <laughs> I felt ashamed as a humanities lawyer, girl, but it's okay. Always with the lawyers, he's like, I mean, if you want to do law, I guess that's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love everything about it. Everyone oh my god, I can't Atlanta. wait Great to win. watch this. Yeah. Great, that's win. awesome. Okay, Lisa, it was so great to have you on. We very much, we will have a love and dividends X Mercari X whatever cannabis dinner party when the world comes back to normal and it will be glorious. I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> thanks so wait. much for having me on, guys. Like, I'm, yes. yeah, it's such a pleasure. And I can't wait to listen to more of your podcast too to learn from both of you. It's It's been an honor. Okay, awesome. Thank thanks you so much. much. With love and dividends. With love and dividends. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. If you got value from this podcast, please share it with another woman who could benefit from the information that we shared. And please consider rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps with new podcasts. If you have questions about finances and investing, have suggestions for future topics or guests, please let us know. You can shoot us a DM on Instagram, love and dividends, or you can send us an email at hello at loveanddividends.com. With love and dividends.